Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Dr. Chris Damon. Dr. Damon earned his BA, MA from Wesleyan University, MD from Columbia University, and is a board-certified, actively practicing gastroenterologist. With a background at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where he led the Gut Health, Microbiome, and Functional Food Initiative, Dr. Damon focused on the role of diet and microbiome-targeted therapies. Dr. Damon specialized in treating gastrointestinal, metabolic, and neurologic disease throughout his five-year tenure at the foundation. In this episode, Dr. Damon shares his new approaches to healthy eating that support your gut health and therefore the rest of your body. We dive into practices like consuming more resistant starches, which if you have no idea what those are, don't worry, we'll explain everything, but essentially these are specific carbs you want to focus on consuming. And who doesn't want to be told to consume more carbs? Dr. Damon also shares what to look for to know if your gut health is improving and how to keep it on the right track. And something important to remember that we discuss in this episode is poor gut health doesn't just show up in the form of digestive or stomach issues. It can present itself in various skin issues, altered mood, anxiety, and focus. Dr. Damon, welcome to the show. I was just saying, I love talking about gut health and we're going to dive into a little area called resistant starches, which is so underrated. Um, but before we do, I'd love for you to just tell our listeners and myself a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are and how you grew so passionate about gut health. Uh, very happy to. And, and thanks, Kate, for um, uh, the introduction and um, also for the opportunity to talk. I, I love these conversations. And you know, as we were just saying, uh, the the nature of uh, having expertise in the area is actually understanding how much you don't know. <laughs> and out of the course of a conversation that becomes so clear with really good questions. So um, in terms of how I ended up where I am, I'm actually a, a gastroenterologist and uh, I can trace my interest uh, to the gut and to microbes maybe all the way back to medical school. Uh, there was an influential lecture uh, and a book that was recommended called Plague Times by Paul Ewald. It's a sensational title, but it essentially puts forward the hypothesis and the postulate that much of disease is related to microbes. Um, and at the time, microbiome wasn't a buzzword. You know, this was uh, many years ago, uh, but uh, it certainly has grown into a big field now, and it's captured the imagination uh, of both uh, the research professional uh, and the public at large. So it's ex- an exciting time to be involved in this. So um, I uh, am currently uh, the chief medical officer and scientific officer at a, a company called Supergut. Uh, and we're using uh, the lens of the gut and the microbes in the gut uh, in order to shine the light on new approaches to health uh, and healthy eating. Um, and this is a, a perfect uh, synergy with with my background, which is gut health and 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 microbiome, and I actually, you know, still um, am a card carrying gastroenterologist. I I still do procedures, um, and I I spent uh, five years at the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, thinking deeply about these subjects in the context of undernutrition and and women and children in particular, and the lessons there are immediately applicable to overnutrition, metabolic disease, and. Uh, the double burden of disease uh, at large across the world is real, uh, where many of the countries that we're focusing on had both. And it really 
uh, in me inspired um, a desire to try to short circuit that um, right here at home. And, and that was the inspiration for uh, joining uh, Mark Washington and team at, at SuperGut. That's so cool. And I, you know, I even just hearing you say like these new approaches to healthy eating, I, I almost want to dive into that first, but let's just take it back. And I feel like every, you know, episode we have focused on gut health. I love to hear everyone's answer and perspective on it, but can you just give us the overview of like, how important is your gut health and how does it support the rest of your body? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question. And, um, I, I would, trace my answer all the way back to antiquities and to uh, the father of modern medicine, uh, Hippocrates. Um, and I think he said it well. He said, the gut is the root of all disease. I'd add to that's also the root of all health. Uh, and he also said, uh, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Um, say he was clairvoyant and uh, maybe now we're coming back around to that perspective, but truly um, the gut is uh, the center of health in the sense that every molecule in our body, with the exception of oxygen, which we breathe, actually is introduced to us through our gut. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing to think about, right? And you truly are what you eat in that regard. And so, wait, Chris, I have to yeah. stop you for a second. Can you take <laughs> us through, just because I'm like a junkie, can you take us through? why, like how that happens. So why then is everything like, right. Or you are what you eat. How does it go? How does everything start in our gut and then go everywhere else? Sure. Yeah, yeah, science yeah. behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first I'll say, I, I, I recall reading, um, a study that looked at what's called the half-life of molecules in our body. Um, and I might be getting this wrong, but I think, um, Every seven years, uh, the entirety of the molecules in our body have been turned over. So even things like neurons, which are thought, you know, not to grow or um, decrease, uh, they're constantly undergoing a uh, change in the molecules that make them up nonetheless. Um, and how does that happen? Well, the foods that we consume are broken down uh, by the enzymes and, as it turns out, the microbes uh, in our gut. You know, things like fat and protein and carbohydrates are turned into smaller uh, components that are absorbed uh, through the gut wall uh, and then ultimately distributed to all the cells in our body. Uh, so um, there there could be, you know, a month-long lecture on how exactly that works in great yeah. detail. No, and, that, and we that, do... was a great, that was a great <laughs> Cliff Notes synopsis. But yeah, um, but that's that's the general idea. Well, and that's, I mean, that's what I want everyone to know and realize is that your gut really does affect every part of your body. Like whatever you're trying to focus on, whether it's brain health, whether it's skin health, um, I mean, it, there's nothing it doesn't touch, just like you said. And that's something, you know, like you said, microbiome is a buzzword right now. Gut health is, you know, a buzzword or the something people are focused on, which is great. But I still don't think people understand just how important it is. So, you know, I'm curious, what are some things and some signs that people's guts may not be at their best? Um, 
And what are just, yeah, like those little warning signs or those little knocks on the door that people should actually pay attention to and put more focus on their gut health? It's, it's, uh, it's a great question. And, um, you, you alluded to these axes. Uh, so like the gut mm-hmm. brain axis, the gut skin axis, the gut immune axis, truly there are these connections. And, um, even if you look at the gut itself, there's more neurons and more neurotransmitters in the gut than there are in the actual central nervous system. It's crazy. Right. And mm-hmm. some people have called it the second brain. That was actually another lecture at, at med school by uh, Dr. Gershon, uh, who wrote uh, this book. Um, but um, it's also true for our metabolic health. So there are an incredible number of hormones uh, that are made in the gut and that interface with the pancreas and with other metabolically active organs in the body. And similarly, uh, there's an incredible number of immune cells uh, in the gut, and those uh, coordinate and communicate directly with our immune system distributed throughout the body, the bone marrow and the lymph nodes, et cetera. Uh, so these, these axes are very, very real. And um, you ask, well, what is it in terms of um, you know, signals or symptoms uh, that we might have? that point to the gut perhaps being out of balance. Uh, Okay, so naturally, if you have looser stools or harder stools, that's an obvious sign, right? And and that's all very intuitive, we we accept that. Um, What may be less intuitive, but in line with these axes that we're talking about are things like sleep disturbances and anxiety or depression or um, as you say, skin disorders, so eczema or atopic uh, dermatitis, um, and uh, metabolic health, uh, like uh, being overweight or having blood sugars that are uh, not in balance. These are all things that <clears throat> could be pointing to um, the gut being out of balance. Certainly not, um, you know, the only thing, <coughs> excuse me, the only thing that can be contributing uh, but one one of uh, one of the things to consider for sure. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is it, people. I feel like, well, you know, also say like, oh, I do have digestion issues, or I don't have digestion issues, and just to use that as I have a healthy gut, I don't have a healthy gut. But there are so many other things like we were just talking about the skin and your mood, right? Like mm-hmm. just how you're feeling. But then also, yes, maybe you know, for some people, and we are not speaking for all. But if you have had weight issues over the years, it can be a sign too that your gut health is not in a good place or your blood sugar levels haven't been in a good place for a while. That's another place to start. And that's actually, even if you were um, working on controlling your blood sugars, you know, paying attention to your gut health would be part of that equation anyways, just as, you know, a medical professional, that's something we would attack first. Um but let's get to like the good stuff and the happy stuff. What are some of, I know we're going to dive into resistant starches, but what are some of your best tips to support a healthy gut or even these new approaches to healthy eating? Uh, yeah. So I, um, would encapsulate it in a collection of maybe eight letters (laughs) to, to keep it simple. So there's what I call the four M's and the four F's. Um, and the four M's, uh, refer to one's lifestyle and some of the connections are intuitive, some are less so. So, uh, it's molecules, microbes, movements, and minds and molecules for each of them. There's 
sort of good things and then maybe less good things that are contributing in balance. Molecules would be food, but one has to consider toxins, right? And um, movements, you know, naturally exercise has been associated with better gut health. Uh, but similarly, if one is sedentary, it, it has the opposite effect. Mind, um, there truly is a mind-body connection. That's true for mind and gut as well. Uh, so good sleep, um, good mental health, um, meditation, in fact. And there's a well-studied practices like mindfulness-based stress reduction that improve gut health. And similarly, stress and lack of sleep and anxiety uh, can worsen it. The dimension we don't think as much about are our microbial health. And that includes the, the uh, microbes that are on, in, and around us, so environmental uh, microbes as well. This is one of the reasons it's important to get outside and maybe even have a pet, uh, maybe grow organically um, and garden uh, and uh, interface intimately with all of those good microbes. Uh, these have been shown to improve uh, gut microbial diversity. So those are the four M's, but uh, I think what is most intuitive uh, to people are uh, food. Uh, and I would boil it down to maybe the four F's of food uh, that are important for uh, gut health and growing a healthy microbiome. And those are uh, fibers, uh, phenols, um, good fats, and uh fermented foods. Now, phenols, that's a bit of a cheat, right? That's a, yeah. a pH and it should be polyphenol. So what we'll say is- Yeah, we're not like, oh, S. Dr. Damon doesn't know how to spell. <laughs> Call me out though, if, if I make a mistake someplace, please do. Yeah. Um, but uh, these truly, and some of it's very intuitive, right? That fiber is a prebiotic, uh, yeah. micros, good microbes, but fats like omega-3s, uh, have been shown also to be prebiotics. Polyphenols are also prebiotics. And the things that come out of fermented foods, so-called postbiotics, are also really important for shaping a healthy microbiome. So yes, the, the four phonetic Fs of, yeah. of food, I would say, are super important for healthy gut and healthy microbes. No, that's a great answer. And that's why, again, I love like asking the same question to each gut health expert, because you always get a different answer and you always learn something new or something that could apply to your life better. So I even want to dive into some of those that you spoke about, but I want to get to resistant starches because I do feel like they are a sleeping beast that could be our best friend and not enough people talk about them, not enough people know about them or how they can use them in their everyday life. So can you just first start with what are resistant starches and how do they work? Sure. Resistant starches are a type of fiber. Fiber is a type of carbohydrate. And in this uh, day and age, we uh, in many ways have kind of vilified carbohydrates. And certainly we get way too much of simple sugars and simple starches and these white stuff substances in general. Um, but truth be told, uh, fiber is also a carbohydrate. Resistant starch is also a carbohydrate. And these are incredibly important and important in dimensions beyond just helping you have a happy bowel movement. Um, they are quite 
literally metabolically active. Uh, and, and the way that works is they essentially uh, grow healthy microbes. And those healthy microbes produce factors that we just can't get from our diet. It really only comes from those, those microbes. So back to resistant starch, what is it about resistant starch versus say all the other fibers uh, that are available? And there are a lot. Um, some fibers uh, maybe are a little bit more fermentable in the upper gut. Those are the so-called FODMAP fibers and the ones that are associated with IBS and that are eliminated in a low FODMAP uh, diet uh, for IBS. Um, the resistant starch uh, category of fibers, however, is not a FODMAP. So that's one thing that um, I think would... Uh, has has something going for it, right? It's it's yeah. I was um, gonna say that's a the, that's a plus for me when if I it's a big plus clients yeah. where and I'm like okay for a little bit we're gonna eliminate one two three four five you know so that's a big plus. It's 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 one of those those fibers that you can add back to your diet with without worrying as much about the you know symptoms of bloating and diarrhea that you would see with IBS and FODMAPs and. That's a huge plus. We actually, you know, just got uh, low FODMAP uh, status from Monash University, which is, uh, you know, the, the um, major institution that uh, first coined the term uh, and that has done the majority of research in, in FODMAPs, and that's for uh, the fiber blends um, product. But um, so it's low FODMAP. The other neat thing about resistant starch is it's a combination of both soluble and insoluble. Uh, fibers and the soluble ones are the ones that we usually think about controlling blood sugar. The insoluble ones are the ones that we think about, you know, getting down to the lower gut and helping you have a happy bowel movement. Um, but uh, it, it has both, and um, it's uh, so then can help you control your blood sugar, but also you know lead to all of the. Um, powerful effects of being converted by the microbiome into factors that then lead to this gut body connection. Yeah, no, it's, it's a right. Like it's complicated when you think about how it works, but it, it's so powerful in the fact that, and we'll get into it, Chris, cause I want to compare like a green banana versus an overripe banana and how that works differently in your body. But even though it's a carbohydrate, it doesn't really act like a carbohydrate in your body in the sense of one that, you know, talking about one that has barely any fiber in it, probably um, more of a refined carbohydrate. And then you have your unrefined carbohydrates. And then I feel like you have resistant starches in a whole nother bucket. Um, and if people can start tapping into that bucket, I think... Mm -hmm a lot of our guts could be healthier. Um, so let's just start with, because I'm sure everyone's listening is like, okay, so what foods are these? How do I eat these? What are your top um, resistant starch foods? Um, yeah, so uh, resistant starch um, can be found in things like green bananas uh, that, that you mentioned. Um, it's present in legumes, which are things like beans and lentils, um, garbanzo beans. Uh, otherwise known as chickpeas, but I, I kind of like that name. <laughs> Me too. It's more fun. Uh, it's more fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also, uh, whole grains. Uh, so, mm -hmm. um, uh, whole grain oats and even wheat and, 
uh, rice and, and uh, corn to a certain degree have resistant starch. Um, the amount of resistant starch isn't huge. And the yeah. way that we process uh, these foods currently, uh, that also decreases the resistant starch in them. And so, you know, truth be told, um, most people uh, don't get enough fiber in their diet. The, um, the recommended amount is somewhere around 30 grams. It depends on how active you are and uh, your age and, and things like that. But um, only 5% of people get enough and most people get about 15 grams of fiber in general. Now, resistant starch, as I said, is a type of fiber and it's a really good way yeah. to make up that that deficit. And some of those foods can help you do that. But despite, gosh, 20 years of public health messaging of eat more mm -hmm. uh, whole foods, uh, eat fruits and vegetables, eat whole grains, eat nuts, yeah. uh, eat beans, the, um, the state of our health is only worsening. So something needs to be done. Yeah. And that's what I'm glad you brought up like the range of resistant starches because comparatively, right. If we're talking about a green banana that is higher in resistant starch versus right. Anyone listening is like, Ooh, rice has resistant starch. Sweet. I'm going to start eating a lot more rice, a lot more whole grains. It's a low amount in those, and those can still spike your blood sugars and they're not going to be as yeah, pretty much as effective on the resistant starch side as like a green banana. If you've listened to many of our expert guests, you know that we all tend to need extra support for our gut health, whether that's taking a probiotic for optimal digestive and immune support, a digestive enzyme to optimize nutrient availability, or my personal favorite Nordic Naturals Nordic Flora prebiotic powder to support the beneficial probiotic bacteria in your gut and for a good source of fiber, there's gut health support for you, whatever your specific needs may be. And to make digestive and immune health more fun for children, Nordic Naturals offers probiotics in a pixie powder, gummy form, and a powder form for infants that can easily be mixed into room temperature food, formula, or milk. Head to nordic.com and use the code naturallywell15 for 15% off all Nordic Naturals digestive support products for adults, children, and infants. I also want to talk about in terms of resistant starch, the heating and cooling of things. So having like, uh, potatoes or, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but also with rice too, when you've cooked it and then you cool it, like if you put it in the refrigerator or say you make potato salad, right. It's in the fridge. And then the next day when you heat it up, that has actually developed more resistant starch. So again, it's not saying go crazy, but it is interesting if you're thinking about like, oh, do I have my potato right as it's in the out of the oven? Or maybe do I make it earlier ahead in the day, cool it down and then reheat it? You do create some resistant starch there. That's that's absolutely correct. And there's you know four or five different types of resistant starch, that type that's created from cooking, uh, and then cooling um, is resistant starch three. And it's basically um, a process of all those um, starch molecules form a gel uh, when they cool. And that gel is more resistant to digestion, uh, more resistant to our enzymes breaking down all those little connections between the sugars and making them available uh, to our body for absorption. 
Um, so yes, the cooking and cooling piece uh, is an important one, but even so, uh, we're not getting enough resistant starch, um, you know, as shown by the epidemiological studies that 15 uh, grams is the average and only 5% get enough. And it doesn't seem like there's there's enough ways to just from, you know, you're, if you're eating green bananas every day or eating a cooling potato, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of ways, which I want to talk about, like how to just incorporate them into your everyday lives. But can you talk about, just so people understand the difference in effects on your body, a ripe banana versus a green banana and how that affects our blood sugars differently mm-hmm. and just how it's processed in our body comparatively? Sure. Yeah. Um, so green foods in general, unripe foods in general, like even, you know, an apple uh, that hasn't ripened off the tree are going to be higher in, um, starches that are hard to digest or or resist. And green bananas is a a great uh, example. Uh, What happens in the ripening process is that starch uh, through the natural enzymes in the fruit doesn't need our enzymes or, you know, um, amylase that we produce uh, in our, our pancreas, but rather inherent to the fruit, turn those starches into sugars, simple sugars. And so a uh, a yellow banana um, is much sweeter and it's much sweeter because it has those sugars, right? Um, but that also means that uh, all of that energy in that ripe banana is much more readily absorbed by our gut to the point where the sugar can spike up super high uh, and those sugar spikes cause insulin spikes uh, in order to control the sugar and, and put it into our cells and use it. Uh, and with those insulin spikes that can be associated, uh, over long-term, uh, with developments of things like diabetes and, and metabolic disease and obesity. Yeah, no, that, that was a great description and to compare them just cause I feel like sometimes people are like, okay, I know I should be eating the green one or the less ripe one, but I really don't know why. And I'm all about having people understand their why so they can actually make the behavior change. But I do want to make a side note. Um, we have a lot of mom listeners Mm -hmm. and if you do have a baby or a child, it is easier for them to digest a ripe banana. So for your kids, try to stick more to those ripe bananas until they're older and their gut has developed a bit more, um, because it can cause, which I don't know if you've seen in your own practice, but can cause, um, in younger kids, just like even just a tummy ache, um, or some disturbances. So for your babies and your children go for the ripe ones. So now how do we incorporate resistant starches in our everyday lives, right? We only listed like a handful of foods and it was kind of across the board. Like some are high, some are low in resistant starches. What's the easiest way that we can incorporate them into our everyday lives and increase that 5%? Yeah. Uh, great question. And, um, maybe I'll, I'll just start by saying, um, the foods that we eat um, are largely processed foods, and there's different categories of processed foods. And uh, the amount of ultra-processed foods that we've been eating has been increasing. And there's a lot of reasons for associations that we've seen between uh, that increase and maybe development of metabolic diseases. So what's interesting about processing is it takes out 
uh, fibers and it decreases the amount of resistant starch and it increases the sugars and the easily digestible things. And so, um, okay, we can go to whole foods as we talked about, right. And, and that could really uh, help, but that's, that's hard and things haven't changed there. I, I believe that there is a really important role of adding back in fibers and, and resistant starches in particular uh, to our diets, almost in a complementary way to whole foods uh, in a supplementary way. Um, because we're already kind of having supplemented concentrated high sugar foods, right? So it's like the, the antidote. It's, it's the complement to that. You can eat whole foods, which kind of has them all packaged together, but we all have our kryptonite, whether it's Oreo cookies or, um, you know, your maybe ice cream or whatever yeah. it may be, and right? A, like, as we should, right? Like as we, we should, should yeah. have that kryptonite. Yeah. And, and uh, Michael Pollan, you know, says it well, you, you, what does he say? Eats food, mostly plants, not too much. And then he follows it up with cheat every now and then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My 10-year-old daughter taught me that one in her, when she came home from her nutrition uh, <laughs> class. But um, yeah, I, I think we're not going to dramatically change the way we eat. We're somewhat entrenched uh, in our eating habits. Um, and processed foods, quite frankly, are, are, are yummy. <laughs> and, and, and everywhere. So, and everywhere. So I, I have this hypothesis that if we can understand what's missing from those processed foods, not just what's bad about them, but what's missing. And that's where the four phonetic Fs come in. And if we can introduce those back in a concentrated way and or through whole foods that have them in higher amounts, I think that that can go a long way towards helping short circuit the metabolic epidemic uh, that, that we have uh, on our hands. And I think that's where things like supplemental fibers, supplemental resistant starches could actually be really powerful. No, definitely. And what would someone be looking for on a nutrition label or in the ingredients list that would let them know, you know, those fibers are being added back in, whether they're resistant starches or just um, some good prebiotic fiber, what would they look for? Sure. Um, so one of the simple ways to know how much fiber is there is to look at the nutrition label and look at the fiber. Um, and there's a number of grams there and you can count those up and see how much you're contributing towards your 30 grams a day. Um, another slightly more nuanced and powerful way of looking at the label is to look at the ratio of the fiber to the carbohydrate. And there's actually been some really good studies that show that a ratio of less than 10 to one and maybe even less than five to one um, might uh, be associated with better health outcomes um, and lower rates of metabolic disease, obesity, diabetes. Uh, so that's a little bit more nuanced way of looking at the label. Um, then you can also look at the actual ingredients that go into it. And that's where these supplemental fibers might be like resistant starch. You'll often see things like inulin uh, or uh, fructans, fructooligosaccharides on the label as well. 
These uh, are fibers that can be really good at growing a healthy microbiome. But in some people, especially those that suffer from IBS, may also make symptoms worse. These are the yeah. uh, high FODMAP fibers. So if you suffer from those symptoms, I'd be very mindful of looking for those ingredients. The one that we don't think about is actually garlic powder and onion powder. Onion powder, yeah, garlic and onions. That's yes, usually like, yes. let's just start there. And people are like, but I put it in everything. I'm like, well, <laughs> we're going to have to adjust that. Um, so That's I right. want to ask you follow up to that. What about, because I found that has worked with a lot of clients. If right, inulin's not working, but acacia fiber seems to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like sometimes you have to find find your your right fiber, um, but it's just helpful. I mean, I I almost hope that, like you said, that they start adding things like this back into foods, just like how right we fortify with vitamin mm-hmm. D um, and iron and things like that. That at some point, I mean, there definitely is more fiber in I feel like processed foods because they know that. People are looking for that, but it's also like the right type and what type that it's also not too much fiber that's actually going to hurt your gut when it's 15 grams of fiber in one little bar that -hmm. can also overwhelm things as well. Um, What would you say are some good signs that your gut health is improving and that you're, you're on the right path? Yeah. And, and, you know, just actually going back to the amount of fiber. I would say it's more important uh, the type of fiber than mm-hmm. the amount of fiber. Amount, Agreed. Maybe you know you can go overboard if you go too much too fast. You can kind of ramp it up over time. Um, but I, I would I would uh, qualify uh, that. Um, and your next question was, oh, just what are some signs that you're on the right path and that you're improving <laughs> your gut health? Yeah. Um, well, we talked about the things that are associated maybe with poor gut yeah. health. So naturally, if those things are improving, like your skin or your um, mental health, uh, mm-hmm. maybe decrease in anxiety, better sleep, uh, certainly, you know, better bowel movements. Um, yeah. These are all uh, things that could uh, imply that your health is improving from a, a gut standpoint. And Chris, what would be, I always <laughs> love to ask, and like, you know, as a medical professional, you're we talk about poop a lot, especially as a gastroenterologist. What is what ideally should your stool look like? <laughs> well, there's great variety to support a healthy gut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Um, I've seen these these poop charts, like the rainbow yep. of poop, mm-hmm. um, and then there's there's also um, the Bristol stool chart, which has kind of the consistency of poop. Mm-hmm. Generally, um, you know a sort of light to slightly dark brown might be a color that you're aiming for. Um, and in terms of consistency, uh, it's kind of a fun thing, um, maybe for your listeners to just Google Bristol stool chart. Um, and you know, aiming for kind of the middle numbers, um, might be the way to go. So you don't, you don't want liquid uh, stool, certainly, yep. uh, nor do you want uh, rabbit pellets, which is a sign <laughs> of constipation. Uh, but a uh, stool that looks like a log, essentially, is, yeah. is, is, is the sweet spot. 
No, it's a great answer. And you know what? The good thing is every gut health expert answers that question just the same. So everyone, you heard it just like a log. Um, I want to touch on, are there, is there anything we didn't talk about? Cause you were talking about these new approaches to healthy eating. Is there anything that we didn't touch on yet? That's a part of that. Uh, let's see new approaches to healthy eating. I think, um, you know, what's happening, uh, at super gut and, and some of these, uh, early products that maybe go a step beyond where a lot of the other food companies are and really validating, uh, the product. We actually, you know, did a, a, a gold standard clinical trial, uh, on, uh, the shake product that we have. Um, showing that it actually helps with weight loss and improves uh, glycemic control. Um, I think this this is the future uh, and just the beginning. Uh, my hope is that this creates a movement, and I'm not talking about the movements we were just talking about in terms of Bristol stool charts, but rather a um, <laughs> a move. <laughs> That was great. That was really good. It almost took me a second to think was, of it, but that I was, was really good. <laughs> but but um, a a movement in how we approach food, how big foods approaches creating products, um, and uh, taking foods um, in the direction of food as medicine, and you know embracing uh the roots of antiquities that we started the conversation with right with hippocrates and 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 really thinking about how is this food um impacting our health um it's happening in kind of a grassroots way and there there are physicians uh, that have certainly embraced this uh, dietitians that have embraced this and and food companies that embrace this and i think this is just the beginning of a much bigger movement that will happen I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I'm so happy. Like we even just touched on and talked about resistant starches and things that I feel like we haven't even tapped into yet, or that consumers haven't tapped into yet that haven't become the buzzword. I hope that's the next buzzword. Um, but no, you couldn't have said it better. And this has been so enlightening and just helpful. I think for our listeners and for myself, I mean, you can never hear this stuff enough right? Like you can never hear it enough because we all are, even with a healthy diet, it's hard to reach that 30 to 35 grams of fiber. And then for some people who may need more, just depending on their lifestyle, age, et cetera, um, it's not an easy feat. Um, Mm -hmm. so we love to end every podcast with a little rapid fire Q and a for our listeners to get to know you better. So first thing that pops in your mind. Um, but what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Well, that's easy. My, (laughs) my wife and and my, my three daughters would tell you right away, I'm a runner and that's my meditative time, my happy time. Uh, so yeah, if I'm stressed, um, I'll often go for a run around our local, uh, green lake and, and come back with clear minds. So that's definitely my go-to, but I know that it's different for everyone and it's important <laughs> to find your special go-to for clearing your mind. So. Yeah. If, for anyone who doesn't know in here, I hate running. So I, kudos <laughs> to you. Um, coffee As does the tea. rest of my family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is great for you though. Right. So don't go on a run with me. <laughs> Let me be alone. Thank you very much. Uh, that's coffee a really good tea. point. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, coffee tea, that's another, um, <laughs> interesting answer because, you know, for the, the first gosh, 30 years of my life, it was uh, tea hands down. Um, loved tea, green tea, um, any, any type of tea. Now I, I married a woman who's a former Starbucks barista. Um, Ooh. and, and Good for you, I, I went through, uh, many years of medical training, residency and fellowship with, with many sleepless nights, um, and managed to go through all of that, uh, without drinking coffee, including the marriage. Now (laughs) (laughs) it it wasn't until I became really convinced of the health benefits (laughs) of drinking coffee. I was thinking, I was like, are these phenols going to come into play here? (laughs) And the growing literature around the association uh, with good health outcomes that I uh, full heartedly uh, embrace coffee. And so now I'm very much an equal opportunity drinker. I'll have a cup of coffee mm. in the morning and I'm now enjoying my cup of green tea in the afternoon. Oh, I like that. So how do you take your coffee? Like, does your wife make you some special Starbucks barista? Does she use her skills or how do you take it? Um, on occasion, I'll, I'll take her up on that. Um, <laughs> but, but most of the time I'm the first one up in the morning, uh, by many hours. Uh, so that would be a bit of a wait. And, uh, so I tend to, um, just make it black. Uh, I don't yeah. add anything to it. Uh, occasionally I'll actually add the super gut fiber, um, yeah. that we make because it actually mixes in really well. And it's, a way that I anyway, uh, get additional fiber in my diet. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. I do a similar thing. I put in some prebiotic fiber into like a matcha or coffee, whatever is my drink of choice that morning. And I also find, um, I mean, I've had to almost drink decaf coffee now because I just get too jittery, but even if it's regular having that fiber too, it doesn't just like how healthy fats can work with it. It doesn't give you as much of that jolt which is very helpful in the morning as well. Um, but yeah, it's a great time to just get in like a little fiber boost. Okay. My favorite question, what is your favorite home cooked meal? Oh, let me think about that. I think historically growing up, uh, it was, it was hands down, it was my birthday meal. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a meal that's, uh, took many, many hours to, to prepare, but, um, it was wonderful. And I thank my, my mom for actually doing this every year. It was, uh, Jimmy Changas and she would start Ooh. with a, a full piece of, um, uh, roast and then cook that down and shred it. And so really from scratch, oh my um, God, that, sounds that so was good delicious. Right and I, I didn't go for birthday cake. Um, cause I wasn't a big fan of cake. Instead I liked key lime pie. So oh, go yeah. figure. I love that. That sounds like a great combo. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Damon, for coming on. Where can people connect with you, um, connect with Supergut, and just learn more about right fiber, resistant starches, the research you guys are coming out with, um, and get their gut in a good place? Yeah, so um, the best source would, would be online. And um, if you follow... Uh, super guts, uh, one words, uh, dot com. Uh, that'll bring you to the website. There's actually uh, a blog there, uh, that um, goes into more detail on some of the science. There's links to, 
um, the clinical trial results um, and a lot of good resources. So I would say that's probably, you know, one of the best places to go. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And hopefully we can connect again soon. Yeah. Great chatting. Thanks so much for having me on. This week's actionable step is to aim to add in five additional grams of fiber to your day. Whether that's mixing in a prebiotic powder into your beverage of choice in the morning or adding in some extra vegetables at meal or snack times, see where you can fit it in and your body will thank you for it. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com. And we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.